Y'all better put him in the Heisman. Got that wood right here, baby. This is the Bud Light Morning Rush Podcast, brought to you by Bud Light Lemon Tea, a unique twist on America's favorite light lager. They're going to run and get that boot. The Arkansas Razorbacks have completed the dream season. A baseball team that's on the way back. A college world series title. Stadium. I almost got fired because I went Willie the boss after I had a little too much sauce. This is the Bud Light Morning Rush Podcast. Officer Breeden stopped by before yes. the show. We're just chit-chatting about stuff. And yeah. Next week is it's National National Night Out, right? That's correct. National Night Out. And police departments around the country. This will this will be an event you will see whether you're listening in Hope, Arkansas this morning. Or you're listening in Bentonville, the River Valley, wherever you're listening, there will be national nights out involving local police departments, community involvement, back to school awareness. What 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 else am I not filling in the gap correctly? With uh, there's all types of demonstrations. Uh, uh, for instance, here in Barling, we're going to have the uh, medevac helicopter. Yeah. We're going to have uh, the smokehouse. Uh, teach kids how to get out of uh, a house yeah. that's filled with smoke. There will be a lot of demonstrations yeah. and a lot of participation so, by all the children. So th- this was something you. We had conversed about us being involved in and coming out and helping with the event, which, you know, we're, we're happy to do. We'd we'll love to do. We will be there a week from tonight. So you, you can count on us. Great. And you said there would be demonstrations. There will be demonstrations. And you, That's right. you thought it would be a good idea, and this is not the way we'd plan to start the show, but no. here we are. We could do a demonstration on how the taser gun works. That, the tie. That's, that's correct. A lot of people are really afraid of the taser. and I think Ty's on that list. Yeah, and... You know, it, we have a nice stage. Yeah. Uh, I'll be up on stage. I'll even go first, Ty. I'll let them tase me, and then you be tased. Yeah. How many times I have mean, you been? How many times have you been tased? Five. Oh, okay, so you've yeah. you, you got I mean, immunity to it. I mean, it hurts, but it's not that bad. He had yeah. hair before it, but you know, no. <laughs> I think hair is way overrated. Yeah. Uh, but uh, no, it, yeah. it will be a great time. We we want the, all the people in all the communities across the state. And again, this is a nationwide thing to come out and participate at very at their location. So we set all that up because as we're going the air, he, he was offering Ty a sample. A sample taste. A sample taste, as he called it. <laughs> Let me give you a sample. And Ty was running across the building as though he had absconded something illegally and was in a foot chase with Officer Breeden, which how do you, he was going to lose. How do you have a sample taste? To me, it's a either sample. you tase or you're not. Well, a, a full tase is a full ride is five seconds. Full ride. Full ride. <laughs> is that one Mississippi, two Mississippi, <laughs> Well, three Mississippi? See, and, or- and the, these have counters on them, for those of who may be watching, and, and they actually have a counter on it, yeah. and it starts counting down. Yeah. See, it counts down. Mm. I don't see what you're so, so afraid yeah, of. So, so it's fine I, to me. I was just going to give him a one-second sample. Oh, oh, okay. So instead of, yeah, okay, so that is, I guess, just the one yeah. second compared to it's the It's like five. walking right. through Sam's, you know, you get, you get a little sample. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. I don't see what the problem is here. I don't know, but we're going to have to, we're going to have to set it up. Ty's, Ty's <laughs> saying no go. But Ty, at least will you come out and throw the, throw the kids the football? Kids would love to see Ty. All right, Ty, right. Ty, Ty has right. signed right. up we, to we, throw we, the right. football right. next Tuesday night. Right. Tasing, throwing football, I don't, I don't see all what right. the difference is there. So hey, yeah, we're, And we're anyway. getting closer to Arkansas football. I'm excited. Yep. yep. What, we all are. Three days? 32 days. 32 days. Right. 32 days. Yeah, that's in the so, neighborhood. Yeah. So we'll count on us being there a week from today, Officer Breeden. All right. Thank you very all much. Right. All right. Appreciate all you do for right. us here and on the morning rush. It's foggy in the River Valley. Everyone drive safe. Northwest, foggy everywhere. Yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. So appreciate Officer Breeden. All right, so I need you to redo my intro. Do we need to start over? <laughs> Just hit the intro button again, and let's uh, let's uh, do a little recap that's here. Not, so and we had it drawn up hey, at three thirty this morning. That's you know, okay, that's though. All right. That's okay, all right. though. We make it work. We uh, we uh, we go on the fly a lot of times here on the morning rush, yeah. but we do appreciate everybody listening in this morning. We got a lot of things that we're going to discuss and talk about. Obviously, yesterday, in case you weren't aware of it, which I don't know how you couldn't be, because we talked about it at nauseum. We were all about it on social media and everything like that. But the S the Razorback football coaches were able to meet with the media yesterday. Now, all the coaches except Chad Morris, because Chad Morris is actually going to be meeting with the media this Friday. Media day is going to be on Saturday where we're able to talk with a lot of players, except for freshmen. It's kind of the rule here. But uh, we were able to talk with a lot of the assistant coaches, Ch- John Chavis, Joe Craddock, uh, Tremaine Carroll, the strength and conditioning yep. coach. I mean, we were able to discuss a lot of different things with those coaches and then play golf with a few of them. Now, some of them weren't able to play, but 
Uh, we were able to play golf with a, a few of them as well. So overall, it was a really it was a really great time. I had a good time, even though it was pouring rain for about four or five holes there straight in the uh, early going. But that didn't slow us down mm-hmm. as far as keep to keep on playing. But right. it seemed like, and I don't know how you felt about this, Tommy, because I know you talked to a few of the coaches as well. It seemed like every one of them brought up team speed and speed and fast and getting faster and doing things to make sure yeah. that they're going faster. Not only just but, you know on the field, but mentally as well. Do you, do you remember that time four years ago when Bielema's staff, or, or maybe it was also again, I think it happened again in, in 08, or maybe it, was, maybe it was 2002 or 99. I'm trying to remember all the years the coaches have come in before the season said, you know, the team's a little slower this year. The team didn't have any gains in the offseason. You know, the team really didn't get stronger. Can you remember the years that happened? Uh, no. No, I don't either. Because I don't think it's ever happened in college sports anywhere. Can you name me a school where the coaches said, you know, our team just really didn't have a good offseason? Or this particular, any player didn't, he didn't have a good offseason. The only one I can think of is maybe Steve Spurrier. He listen, said in joking. <laughs> I don't want to come in here and just start throwing water all over the campfire, but you gotta, you got to take this stuff with a grain of salt. You know, not everybody in the 120 with the walk-ons and scholarship players and whoever else is out there day one on Friday got bigger, faster, stronger. Not everybody did. But any of them get slower. That's what I'm saying. Not everybody got bigger, faster, stronger. Right. So, I mean, but that's what everybody wants to, to lead you to believe. And listen, do I think they're recruiting better? Yes. Anybody, me and you could recruit better than Bieleman recruited up there. You know, but every strength and conditioning coach known to man at this point in the years is touting all the hard work and all the gains the teams have made. So I mean, that's all great. I, I totally what we expected to hear. But let's let's see some proof on the field. Yeah, well, that's the problem that you have is you're not going to be able to really buy into it or understand it or believe it until you do get to that point where it starts happening on the field. Right now, it's just about promotion, Tommy. So it's about promoting. It's about promoting the exactly program. Right. It's about promoting. And getting and here out I of, am poo-pooing the promotion. Yeah. It's like you and Ruskin are almost on the same page for well, some I mean, reason. It's just, I've it. heard it all. Well, we all have heard it all, but we got we got to get something out of it. We got to be able to look. That's why we get to talk to them. And I understand that probably everything they say is just going to be pomp and circumstance as far as just saying that the program's going great. Everything's going great. Everything's great, grand, wonderful. Nothing's bad. But at the same time, it's like, you know. You, would you rather have no access to him at all and just assume that no, everything's I mean, going good? So that's the thing. It's like you got to balance no, it out. No, I get it. I'm just saying I'm not going to come in here and say, well, you know what? Maybe they can win nine, you know? <laughs> no. I'm just I, not I coming in not. here. I'm not going off the reservation that because of what I heard yesterday, I've now no. changed my expectations. No, no. And I hope no one does that. That would be stupid. Because after talking with coaches, that's never going to change anybody's predictions. At least it shouldn't. Now... Maybe if we have some form of practice open or scrimmage open to the media or even to the public, maybe then you can have at least a little bit of a takeaway on who looks good, who doesn't. But no, you can't take anything away from what coaches are saying to try to enable to feel like how this season's going to go. You can't do that. But that's the thing is that this is really getting closer to fall camp. It starts this weekend, essentially. Uh, later this week is when they all start. And so this is just a matter of, all right, seeing where everybody's at right now. Here's what I got out of yesterday. Let me just give you one example. Talking with coaches, listening to conversations that, you know, having in these group settings and yeah. just, you know, it's a, it's a little less formal. One of the one of the little nuggets I picked up on was talking about the leadership of the quarterbacks. And one of the comments made by by someone on staff was, you know, Ben Hicks Knows the offense real well and is, is a good leader because he's a good teacher on the field. I'm paraphrasing. Right. Him. Starkle is a different kind of leader. And what he's shown through the summer is he is a very positive, outward, um, uplifter type of leader is what I took from Those are the kind of things I think I got out of yesterday that, that, that okay, you can put that kind of in, in your back pocket and kind of when you're trying to do some algebra about this team later in the year and figure out why this is this and that is that things, little things like that come into play. Yeah. You know, that Starkle's the guy that he's always kind of more of a cheerleader, positive uplifter type leader. And Ben Hicks is not quite in that mold, but 
he understands things. He leads in a he, different way. He can lead in yeah. The, the, the leadership styles of those two. So it's going to come down to you know which leadership style is more effective to this team, I guess. Because I'd, I'd still feel like it's going to be Ben Hicks starting. But the leadership role, it always seems to fall on the quarterback, for one. And two, I think that that was one of the things that was not only missing from the quarterback room last year was mm-hmm. the talent, but also the, the leadership form of it. But uh, who was it that discussed the leadership? Was it with the quarterbacks? It's one of the offensive assistants. Okay, okay. I, I just want to make sure it wasn't Tremaine uh, Carrick because I didn't no. hear that part of it. But, no, no. Okay, but yeah, that was... That, see, those are the things that you have to take away from that where, hey, how's the improvement of this person? You're going to get the same answer. But if you actually get something like that when you're talking about leadership, something that you know is not going to be... Something that, that there's no reason to like lie about it or to mm-hmm. like, like say no no he's been a, he's been a great leader and he's he's doing this and that and the other when you know it's not so I feel like that's the main thing that you can take away from it but I mean <laughs> how many leaders do they have because I seem like Tremaine Carroll when he was going through the list of leaders do you remember that when he said the vocal mm-hmm. leaders he gave up like twenty two and that's just to mention a few yeah Maybe just, you have that cut I don't know but yeah. And that's just to mention a few. Yeah. It's like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, nothing but leaders on this team. Right. Somebody's got to be a follower, I guess. But no, that was that was the thing. You just got to you got to take the little small samples from it, get some from that. Again, we'll have the players this weekend to be able to meet at Media Day that we'll probably get some more information from. And I saw that no freshmen will be allowed to speak to the media, which is funny because Tommy as we've talked about, isn't that like two-thirds true, true of the freshmen, team, true right. freshmen. No one no true freshmen are going the way I read it and you tell me if I interpreted this wrong. No true freshman is going to speak to me until they've played in a game. Yeah, I think that's what it was. Right. Until, they, until they play in yeah, a game. Yeah, that's what so. I said. Right. So, mm-hmm. yeah, but if that's the case, then, you know, that's that's going to be fine. I mean, I'm fine with that. I Do understand we need to be it. talking to players that haven't played in games? I guess no. if you had a highly heralded five-star, particularly in-state recruit, you might think about that policy a little different. You know, if you had, the, you know, some big-time quarterback from, from Arkansas, some big-time running back from Little Rock, pick a school yeah you know you might do it that way but i you know for the most part i get it 49 out of 50 true freshmen that's never been on the field probably don't need to be in front of microphones no because it wouldn't be able to have media day it was just like oh whoever open locker room yeah i mean you could talk to the walk-ons which is what i did yeah it's a little different this year um and it, to me it makes a little more sense chad morris didn't speak yesterday he's going to talk friday after the first practice there won't be from what i understand and how i've Look to the sky. He he is not speaking Saturday media day. It's one hour players only. No assistant coaches, which in the past Arkansas media days included literally everyone. Assistant <laughs> coaches, the head coach. I mean, everybody that gets a paycheck over there. Probably get a GA available. if you wanted. Right. <laughs> Saturday's just going to be players only for one hour. So, but yesterday all the assistant coaches were available. So everybody's going to be available at some point this week, and we'll have a lot of this stuff as. Really, you know, really, practice becomes the storyline with everyone, including our show. You know, beginning this weekend. You're listening to the Bud Light Morning Rush podcast, brought to you by Bud Light Lemon Tea, a unique twist on America's favorite light lager. Now he does a tightrope back. Boy, Houdini's in the house. We're number three, and nobody's home to watch that house. Touchdown, Hogs! I mean, the Bob Holt Cup, I feel like, would be very fitting for the golf tournament. The only thing is Bob Holt didn't play golf in the tournament because Bob Holt doesn't play golf. No. But so he, maybe that's even more fitting. But he did stay in the clubhouse and work the entire time we well, were playing had, golf. He needed to cover, I'm sure in today's Democrat Gazette, the results of the tournament are posted Front for, page. Front to page. Hey, Got to be. The leaderboard. Yeah, they took out Wally's column and they put the, <laughs> the, they, they put the results in there. Had to. Had to, but no, it was funny because when Bob Holt came in, I was like, so Bob, you, how many stories did you write? I mean, that was four or five hours. Oh, I just took some notes. 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 Four or five hours? Took Organized notes. his notes. I'm yeah. telling you. So he he is intricate. But I think we should rename it to the Bob Holt Cup. I, I'm sure Chad Morris yeah. kind of wants his name on it, too. So I don't know. I don't think Chad Morris cares about having his name on it. <laughs> what are you it? talking about? That's his highlight of his year right there. Yeah. So yeah. either way, we got to speak to some of the assistant coaches. And when we we're going into it, Tommy, the assistant. Well, by the way, by the way, did I mention that I won the closest to the pin? Have I mentioned that yet? In the I, show? Actually, you haven't. I haven't. You, you haven't mentioned that. Um, I have the trophy here in my hand, which is also disguised right. as a Titleist Yeti oh. stainless steel so, cup. Buddy, but, so if I mentioned that yet, that. 
I won closest to the pin. You you did right. not. Right. You did not mention. Maybe it. I'll bring it up later. Maybe um, maybe I'll bring that up later. Did, or that my team beat your team. Have we, I brought that up yet? No. No. Everybody bro- beat my team though. <laughs> I mean, let's just be honest. I finished last. Our team finished last. I'll get to that later. Yeah. My because we were the only honest my ones victorious there. Victorious shot. Yeah. We're we're gonna have a breakdown of this. We're, we're gonna discuss this. We're gonna we're gonna dive into it because I there's st- I still got some. Uh, Put that on the rundown. (laughs) Yeah, I'll put it on the rundown for you because I I don't know. I have some problems with all that thing. But let's go to the phone lines. Michael's in Stuttgart. What's going on, Michael? Guys, muscle men, you know, the nepotism thing. I I normally hate nepotism, almost in every case. And Ralph Sampson was going to bring his son over here. And Sampson was about at the end of the road. I guess he wanted to guarantee his son was just going to go in and be the coach. And, I, you know, coaching, waiting, coaching, control, you know, I guess. And who was going to decide when that was going to happen? Was it going to be the father, the son? It certainly wasn't going to be the university. So you get that kind of thing in any kind of business structure. And that's why they normally don't allow it. You got bad news. But it's different in here. You're talking about a young, energetic coach. And obviously, Musselman's his father. You know what kind of lineage he is. I've got to think he's a dynamo like his dad. I've, I've got to think that he is because well, his dad wouldn't have put him in the position. Go ahead. He's what, 22? Is that right? Yeah, 22, sure. 23. I mean, how do we know anything? How does he know anything at this point? He's well, I'll tell 23 you something. His grandfather's, yeah, his, his grandfather was an NBA coach, and so was his dad, and they lived the game. Tommy. I they understand. I mean, I, I mean, but to, to say he's, he's a dynamo, we're, you're assuming some things here. So. Well, his dad is. His, his grandfather is, and mm-hmm. I can assume that his dad wouldn't have hired him unless he was. Because his dad is, well, hell, we'll just put a t- we'll take a chance on him. We'll just make him recruiting coordinator. I mean, it's, yeah, exactly. I mean, Ty says it's one of the biggest jobs on staff. I don't know if I can quite it go is. that far. I, I agree. I agree that it, it is. You want a guy there head that's going to relate to players, that's going to get out there and, and get his hands dirty. I mean, guys, we had a coach up there that wouldn't, he was a lump on a log. You wouldn't move for nothing. And Samson would have been the same way. People are learning how dynamic or how undynamic Anderson was by watching Musselman. And Musselman's one of the most dynamic coaches in the country as far as getting a job done and energy, just like uh, Morris is in football. So now you've got a couple of real coaches up there. But I guarantee you, Musselman, I guarantee you, I know this for a fact. I mean, I, guys, some of this stuff, you talk about, we got to do the algebra, some of this stuff's right there for you. These are human beings. These are people. They have track records. What kind of man is Musselman? What kind is his father? Would Musselman have hired his son in any other circumstance other than he could do the job and he knew he could do the job? Not that he thought he could, but he knew he could. He ain't going to put his name on a line or his job on a line for his son or nobody else. And neither did his dad. But he knew about Musselman. He knows about his son, too. So that's how I can surmise. It's not like you know, I'm going out on a far limb here. Well, the thing is, too, Michael, is I, I look at it as I'm going to – first off, when a coach comes in, I – I'm just going to go ahead and assume and trust the coach until there's a problem. You know, if he wants to do certain things, if he mm-hmm. wants to hire certain people, I'm going to give sure. him the benefit of the doubt until it becomes a problem. And if in the next three, four years, there's recruiting issues that they be saying they're not having the success on the court, maybe those are some of the things that get popped up. But at this point in time, I'm like, hey, Eric Musselman's been around a long time. He's coached for a very long time and had success at coaching. So I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt when he's bringing in his son. Hey. It may be great. It may really work out. He may be do a great job. And so the, we just don't know. He's already spent time as a graduate assistant, as a GA. This is the next step up as a staff position. Sure. So, and I agree, it's an important guys, staff position. But I don't want to confuse it with like lead assistant. You know. No, no, but I mean, you know, recruiting is a lifeblood, and getting somebody Ab- in there that can relate to these players. You know? Absolutely. And this social media, I mean, it's just huge. And somebody that has the energy and the know-how, and it's just it's the difference between winning and losing. I mean, that's how the programs are built. Everybody knows. But guys, I mean, with the coaches. We have up there now. I mean, can't you see the difference? I mean, it's not like we're going out. Of, especially Musselman's even more, a lot more proven than Morris is. But we're not going out of limb. He could reconstruct. He come in and reconstructed the whole team. Get out of here. You know, we'll bring this guy in. We'll bring this guy in until we can recruit what we want. He's already building a foundation. The guy's working twenty four hours a day, just like Morris. I mean, he, I don't know how the guy sleeps. I guess he sleeps two or three, catches two or three hours or here and there. He doesn't need sleep. He wants to win. But guys, this big time. We got big time coaches up on the hill. Big-time coaches. I mean, can't you see? Guys, I'm not a uh, sunshine pup. I've been calling these radio shows for 15, 20 years. I had a hard time getting on the air because I was telling people about Anderson and about this guy and about that guy, you know, and nobody wanted to hear it. Now we got real coaches, and I call in, and it's like there's a roadblock. Hey, let's wait and see. What are we waiting and seeing? I mean, you know, I think the proof's already in the pudding. I mean, they haven't proven it yet, but the ingredients are all there, and so is their work ethic and attitude, intelligence, and everything else. I mean, it's just a matter of time. I'm saying they both succeed. What do you guys think? 
I mean, listen, I think they're both set up to succeed. I think that they both have what Amen. it takes to be at Arkansas, at a place like Arkansas, to be able to yeah. win. We know about Chad Morris and the way he recruits and getting into Texas. We know about Eric Musselman and the fact that he has been successful mm-hmm. pretty much at everywhere he's been, and he's coached at every single level. So, yeah, it looks like on paper and looking and forecasting a little bit, yeah, they're set up to be successful. But as we know, sometimes uh, yeah. there just doesn't work out. Chad, in a lot of cases. Chad exactly. Morris is doing the right things getting back to Texas, which Bielema abandoned. Clay was talking yesterday. Sure. The only player who signed one year was Cole Hedlund out of Texas. I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine yeah, an Arkansas coach only gets one player? Out there? I mean, that just, you know, it goes against everything we've known all of our lives about Arkansas and the importance of, of players from Texas. Here's what I'm interested yeah, that, to see with, with, with uh-huh. Musselman real quick, Michael. The next uh-huh. time there is a player that we put in the same sentence with Malik Monk as far as in-state talent. The next time there is a player that every, you know, like four SEC schools are on and one of them is Kentucky and they live in Arkansas, does Musselman get them? That's what I'm waiting for. I mean, yeah, well, I think the guy can coach. He knows his X's and O's. He's a strategist. He's he's too proven at the NBA level and the college level to to think we've, we've missed on a guy that doesn't know how to coach the game. But what I want to see is the next time there is a bona fide stud in the state. Yes. Tommy, does does he get him? Does point. he get him? That 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 to me is what I want to see. No, hey, that, that's a, that's a wonderful question. I understand why you ask it. I, I think it's a little bit antiquated now. It probably hasn't been proven out yet. It kind of goes back to football. It won't mean, and we need all the players out of Arkansas, especially when the players are this good in basketball out of Arkansas. But this guy's going to get players from everywhere. Where Anderson really couldn't. You know, he had to get the guy from Arkansas because there wasn't anybody else. This, is guy, this guy's going to recruit nationally. He's already shown that he's going out. I mean, all these guys are going after four and five stars. He's a big-time player. So I don't think it's going to mean, just like football had the conversation last week, I don't think it's going to mean as much as it did because of his ability to recruit. Obviously, it means a lot. Let me just say this quickly, and I'll let you guys go. In football and basketball, we got two big-time coaches that really haven't gotten anywhere near where they're going to get to, in my opinion, yet. And this is a big-time job to them. This isn't a little bitty Arkansas, poor old Arkansas. they got all the facilities. they got all the money. All the excuses are gone. They're finally – the reason Arkansas had won, they hadn't had the coaches to win. Now they got coaches to win in both sports, and I predict they will. And I don't – it's not going on a limb. It doesn't make me Nostradamus. It's fairly obvious to me. Well, appreciate the phone call, Michael, as always, man. Appreciate the insight. And obviously, you have strong opinions on these two coaches. Listen, I understand the excitement, for one, that people have for these two coaches. And I even understand where you're coming from, that you think that they're going to be big-time coaches. I I hope you're right. But again, it's just so early where, you know, Eric Musselman hasn't coached a game for the Arkansas basketball team. And Chad Morris, he's had one season that was pretty terrible. In fact, the worst season in Razorback football history. So there's just a lot of questions on the other side, too, that you got to wait and see. But I will tell you this about Musselman. I think that this year, especially, I don't know if he has enough talent to get to the NCAA tournament, but I think he has just enough talent to be just as good, if not better, than what they were last year. Without Daniel Gafford. Without Daniel Gafford? Hmm. I I mean, I I could be wrong about that, but I just feel like that they have enough there with the development of these guys and some of the additions that they brought in. Well, no big man. Huh? Not a single big man. There's a lot of teams winning without a big man in the college basketball right now. I mean, there's there's not there's not a lot, but and it took all the point. It seems like you got to get to the final to get to the final four and succeed. You better have a five, right? But you're not getting to the final four this year, though. Like the plan's not to get to the final four this year. Plan is just to put together a team that can compete with what you got and hopefully get to the tournament. Yeah, forget the final four. Just. Can we get in the field of sixty-eight? Yeah, you just got to be—you got to be strong at one thing in basketball. I don't know if it's three-point shooting or just shooting in general, getting to the rim, whatever. Scoring the basketball, scoring the basketball, scoring. You got to be strong in it. You got to <laughs> well, be strong at it. I'll say this about these two coaches, and I think it's fairly obvious to anybody paying attention. So I'll make a great point that's fairly obvious: they're at least recruiting at a level that neither of their predecessors did. One hundred percent, and. That's the thing that I think sticks out is, you know, you recruit your way out of these problems, and there seems to be a a real plan, a game plan, not just we're going to go out there and watch players and going to try to offer as many good players as we can and see what sticks. There seems to be like a bona fide plan on how to construct a roster. Well, they didn't even like that was the whole thing. Mike Anderson didn't go after any like big time guys outside of the state. Yeah. That was the whole. That's what ticked a lot of people off, what? and that's why everyone's like, "Wow, Eric's gone. He might not get him." But he's at least trying well, to. Do you always ask the prettiest girl to the dance at school? No. Why? 
It's hard sometimes, but you at least have to have the courage to do it. I'm not. I'm not the one that's exactly. heading up the Arkansas basketball program. I, I get it, and I, I'm not going to act like it's the easiest job I, in the world because it's not. But that was the whole. That's why so many people got angry all the not, time. That's the point I'm making. Musselman's not scared to walk up to the best looking girl in the school right in the middle of the main hall and ask her to prom. Mm-hmm. I mean, have you seen his? Life, like he's I'm, not, I'm just saying. Well, and it's, that's key in recruiting is you better be willing to go after the best players, even though you may get told no. Can you be on their short list? The, the, the you know down to their last four. The more that yep. keeps popping up, the more at some point you keep taking swings. You're going to mm-hmm. get a hit. Yeah, because the thing is, you have to throw another obstacle into it. Because not only are you trying to ask the prettiest girl at the school to dance, but you also got. Brad Pitt and Ryan Gosling <laughs> and Channing Tatum over here trying yeah. to ask the same girl. So you're 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 having to make sure that hey, forget those guys. Yeah, forget. I know they look good. Focus right here. But right here is where you need to be. This yeah. is the guy that you need to dance with. So I, I get what you're saying, and that's the thing about Eric Musselman, about Chad Morris, about anybody. Dave Van Horn has the recipe in baseball where he's able to do it both. But it's just so early in the well, going for these two coaches that it's really hard to determine how high level they're going to be. But Arkansas baseball is Brad Pitt. You know that's right. That's right. Brad Pitt. I don't know. Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. Is that what too is old? The, what about to say? What are we too old? Yeah, 1994 maybe. Well, Brad Pitt yeah. isn't like a spring chicken anymore. Yeah, Brad Pitt's a time. Still getting the LLC. Come on, Ty. You know all the good looking guys. Tommy, you tell us. I'm not, sure, I'm not up on this. What Tommy's referencing <laughs> is years later he's still getting it done, and years later Dave Van Horn. Who's Tom Cruise is even still dating? It done. Uh, he was married to Katie Holmes. It's done now. So. Yeah. Tom Cruise is crazy though. I will say that. But but Top Gun Two is going to be a. <laughs> badass movie you're listening to the bud light morning rush podcast brought to you by bud light lemon tea a unique twist on america's favorite light lager give is to alex collins straight up the middle and collins on the run they won't catch him alex collins is gonna take it all the way to the house tom did you see did you witness tommy's greatness in the golf game yesterday do I need to come down there and officiate for you guys, man? <laughs> what, what, what is going on? Greatness is a relative term. It was one okay shot that was eight feet, nine inches from the hole. Yeah, I don't well, know that that's man. great. I, I don't know that that's great. It was a good shot. It's great for me. I, I, I'm, okay. just, I'm just saying that. But it did win me this nice titleless stainless steel Yeti cup. Yeah, we want to, Tom, we want to unofficially call it the Bob Holt Cup. This event yesterday. The event yesterday. We're going to change the name. What do you think? Well, Bob needs to go playing, and if you're going to name it for him, but, well, that's that, that's the whole beauty uh, of it. We name it for someone who doesn't even play golf. <laughs> It'd be like naming it the the Nate Allen Bob Holt Classic, you know? <laughs> right? Because uh, neither one of them are swinging the sticks right now. Yeah, that that would be that'd be true. So I don't know. We we may try to find some way to politic that and campaign it uh, into existence. But there was a lot of things that came out of it yesterday, Tom. I know you were there and you had a chance to catch up with some of the assistant coaches that were able to speak to the media. And I, I don't know about you, but the one thing that I took away from it, or at least the biggest thing I took away from it, is how they kept just reiterating team speed, team speed, getting faster, getting faster, recruiting speed, recruiting speed. It just seemed like it was really predicated around that, which is one thing to say it, but it's another thing to do it. So it, I don't know. Did you get that same feeling that that was kind of the theme yesterday is just really, really focusing and hammering on the fact that team speed has improved? Well, it, it was one of the things, and, and credit – Chad Morris and his entire staff, in one season, they've been able to identify things that they know they have to you know, improve to compete. One of them is speed, but also having enough depth on your D front and your O front, and they feel a little bit better in that regard, but the speed part never goes away, and they have to stack class upon class that have it. They've added a little bit this year, but um, I think they would tell you, in all honesty, that they don't have uh, enough across the board yet. So this year... You know, it's a long way back for Razorback football. And this year, I think, is about trying to take a few steps in the right direction, uh, be more competitive late in games, and, and, and show that speed. Be able to exhibit it, um, big play situations, on converting third downs, making a stop, you know, stopping a screenplay when it looks like the other team's got it blocked up, but yet your, your, your nickelback shoots the gap and, and, and tackles the guy before he can hit the, hit the marker. That kind of thing needs to to get better. Tremaine Carroll talked to the media in a group setting. Then we were all uh, able to visit with the assistant coaches in more of a one-on-one type environment. When you talked to Joe Craddock, what did you glean from that conversation about the quarterbacks and 
kind of where things stand and, and how Nick Starkle's going to rotate in early. What, how do you think the quarterbacks will be managed based on your conversation yesterday with, with the Arkansas offensive coordinator? Well, the uh, most enlightening thing I heard from him is that they're going to do a different structure with their huddles uh, for certain parts of the practice where they're running um, on two different fields. So the ones and threes go uh, rapid fire behind each other on one field and the twos and fours, and that's because they feel like they have a lot more depth on their own line in most particular, and they want to be able to develop those guys, which means getting them more reps on practice day. So your third, you know, your third string left guard isn't just standing on the sideline watching most of practice. So, um, or most of the team periods. So that was the thing. And as far as quarterbacks go, I, he wasn't really budging in terms of, he, he says it's a wide open field. In fact, he even created a scenario where KJ Jefferson could come in and if he's the best guy, you know, then and he's the one who's going to play or, uh, you know, at least try to get four games for him. So, um, he, when I asserted that I thought it would be between Hicks and Starkle, uh, he wasn't going there, but I think that's kind of the genuine, general consensus that one of those two, because of their veteran presence, uh, is going to win it. So I, I suspect we're going to see those two guys getting a ton of reps, and, and they'll try to bring John Stephen Jones along and, and K.J. Jefferson and, um, and see how things stack up. Speaking with Tom Murphy of the Arkansas Democrat Gazette right now on the morning rush. Tom, looking at the other side of the ball, foot on the defensive side with John Chavis, uh, one of the things I know we discussed with him is just about uh, not only how his depth is coming along and what's the strongest position groups and who and who's doing what, but he was really emphasizing how it was about coaching. Even when he was brought up, at least when I asked him, about uh, which position group he was most impressed with, he, he kept saying, well, I'm impressed with this group, but it comes down to coaching. It, it seemed like that was his theme. It was just it was about coaching, coaching, coaching more so than just the players that they're developing. Yeah, that was his message of the day. Before a position group can get out there and shine, you know, like really slot into place, and we find the depth for that group, this coaching staff has got to be good at preparing them to play. And he he said that that's on him. I mean, he basically put it on himself. He thinks his first three linebackers could go out there and compete uh, with anybody in the SEC. I, I have this note in the paper today. So that's, you know, that's Scooter Harris, that's Bumper Pool, that's Grant Morgan. And then he goes, but the key is getting the next three or four guys ready to get on the field. And he doesn't want Scooter Harris to have to play more than 55, 60 snaps a game. That means that the, the Andrew Parkers, Deion Edwards, Hayden Henry, uh, maybe even Zach Zemos, some of these guys have got to be ready to contribute. Now, we say that every year about the, the Arkansas linebacker core. And they don't ever seem to be able to find a guy who can give Dre Greenlaw the proper amount of sna- uh, rest, or the, or Brooks Ellis, or uh, Scooter Harris. Mm-hmm. So that's I think that's the scope of what he was talking about. Is each position position coach has to coach up his guys and and be able to have more depth on the field. And to me, that applies more in the secondary than really anywhere. I think it's interesting to see who takes snaps at Mike linebacker when Scooter Harris isn't out there, and who on the weak side is going to push bumper pool? I, I, I think we kind of know who the starting linebackers are going to be. To me, the interesting yeah. thing to watch throughout August is, is anyone pushing these starters? And then who is, particularly with uh, Scooter Harris's spot, who is the true number two at that spot? And I think linebacker, like a lot of other positions, Tom, there's a rotation where there better be a guy like a Grant Morgan or somebody that can play multiple positions in that linebacking group. Absolutely, that's true. And I think Grant Morgan is the most versatile of, of them. And I think he would be the number two ML, uh, MLB if he had to go into a game. Um, and, and as I mentioned, Andrew Parker, Deion Edwards, Hayden Henry, what can they do to get these guys in the game to take a little bit off of Scooter Harris and, and Bumper Pool and be productive players? And in the secondary, you know, you're starting Cam Curl at one safety, looks like Joe Fouché at the other, and Miles Mason. Other than that, you're talking about Brendan Young and – um, you know, who's a senior walk-on. Uh, you're talking about newcomers like Jalen Catalan who just don't have a ton of experience, and they, they have to be your depth. So um, I think I think it applies there, and I think it applies at cornerback as much as, as it does at linebacker. You know, a lot of talk about T.J. Smith, but I thought it was interesting that Trumaine Carroll called out Jonathan Marshall, the, the what's kind of right now the backup defensive tackle, as being the most freak athlete on the team. 
Um, yeah, probably not a guy that that a lot of a lot of people listening are familiar with, but a guy that maybe his athleticism shines through this year. Uh, could be, and I did the uh, Hog Future story on him when he signed a couple years ago, and that was the that was the deal on him is that he's a, a physical specimen who's super strong, and you know he's played here and there, and if if Briston Gidry had not gotten hurt and basically had to retire because of all his knee surgery. I would feel decent about their t- tackle depth, and, and, and we may end up feeling okay about it anyway. But Marshall's a guy who's who's right there in the rotation behind Sosa Game and T.J. Smith. He's right in there. So um, it, it, it would be nice to see him apply his physical strength onto the field, whipping some offensive guards, uh, be, being a stone wall against the run, and, and being able to apply some pressure against the pass. You know, Tom, I don't know if you got a chance to really go in-depth with Dustin Fry, the offensive line coach, but one of the things that uh, I had a discussion with when I was talking to him is just, first off, he was very open and direct about who the starters would be for the offensive line if the game started today. He was very yeah. open about that, and usually you don't really hear somebody be so direct, but it was also, and I'm just comparing it from last year to this year, this may, may not mean anything, but it seemed like he was pretty confident in the five guys that he had. And you want a coach to be confident, but this year it seemed like he was even more so confident than what he had last year. Did you get that vibe as well? And what did you make of him being so direct and who would be the starters right now? Absolutely got that vibe. And he's, he's kind of been that way. I mean, even going into spring ball, I remember uh, we were sitting upstairs in the Smith Center with him, and he talked about, you know, the, who, who would be starting. The thing is, there's enough uh, veteran presence that we kind of know. And he's excited that he thinks Myron Cunningham and Colton Jackson are going to be a great battle at left tackle. They're going to make each other better. And when the other one has to come in, whoever's not starting, that the, that the starter is, is pushed, is challenged by it, gets better, is a more physical presence, and, um, and, and they help each other. And so he thinks Austin Caps, a year full of training now at left guard, is going to be – the kind of a mauling type presence because we know Austin Caps is strong. I mean, Country Boy is strong. So could could he be the answer at left guard? I mean, they they think he can. Uh, Ty Clare is better. Um, he's taken more of a leadership role. Uh, Trumaine Carroll pointed out that he and Dalton Wagner were two of the the big leaders on the offensive front. So if Clary is a more consistent snapper and uh, is a more physical guy, then they'll they'll upgrade themselves there. Shane Clinton looks like right guard. And then at right tackle, uh, Wagner and Noah Gatlin are going to be in a good battle. So that's what I was mentioning earlier about the double, you know, the, the two-line stuff, is that um, they feel like there's enough uh, players that have a chance to contribute on the O-line um, that they're going to have some depth about themselves this year. Tom Murphy of the Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Always appreciate you hopping on, Tom. Appreciate it, man. We'll be catching up with you on Thursday, all right? Outstanding. See you. You're listening to the Bud Light Morning Rush Podcast, brought to you by Bud Light Lemon Tea, a unique twist on America's favorite light lager. And welcome in Eddie, who is in Clarksville. Good morning, Eddie. Edward? Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning to the fan base. You know, somebody the other day, I was out and about asked me, what is Razorback football? Well, you know, for, for, for the fan base, I don't know if you know the Jim Lindsay story. Well, he said it said. He said Razorback football is the sound of the fans. It's the Wu-Tang Chewy. It's the smell of the popcorn at Razorback Stadium. It's running through the A in front of a cheering crowd. It's blocking, it's tackling, it's winning, and it's losing. Every school has that spirit and the competition that surfaces when these teams compete represents the very best of American spirit. But for Eddie for Clarksville, for being a fan for over four decades, uh, it's much more than that. I, I the Jim Lindsay story, I mean, this was the nineteen sixty it wasn't all a program wasn't all about losing. There was a time when this program was the very best. In the country. I want to go back to 1963 to 1965. This team won 22 straight games. And people say we can't get back to that time. I beg your pardon. 
I see similarity in the new conductor of the Hub train and Coach Morris and Coach Bro. They both have a vision. They both had a dream. They both realize the importance of recruiting on a high level in Texas. How important that? That adds skill to the Hub train. He's added a new foundation to this program, and it starts August 31st against Portland State. The countdown is on. And I'd like to see the fans, they didn't matter, from one corner of the state to the next, come fill that state. Come hover. And let's support this team in the very best of that America. Let's test it. Because, gentlemen, this season represents that the whole train is going to come out of the darkness. And it's led by the new conductor, again, the good shepherd, as I refer to him, Coach Morris. And that's exactly what we're going to do. And how important, you say, well, it's Portland State. I said this again. Well, it's a win in this program. And it's going to get the Hawk train with a head of steam headed in to Oxford, Mississippi. Well, most analysts pick us to lose the game. I beg your pardon. I have a different story to tell. This football team has a different fight to tell because we're coming to fight and we're coming to beat you in Oxford, Mississippi. So for the fan base, get ready. I'm ready. Coach Morris is ready. This football team is ready. And they're coming with the fight in the very best of American spirit. So we'll see you come August 31st and save your Arkansas. Thank you for taking my call. Okay, thanks, Eddie. As always, appreciate it. So I guess his new phrase is, I beg your pardon. I beg your pardon. All right. At least he's respectful about it. I wish more people uh, up there would kind of think about it. I mean, everybody wants to talk about Portland State, and you get the cliche, it's one game at a time, blah, 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 Portland State, we'll worry about Ole Miss later. But, you know, listen, I wish one person up there would just stand up that's like on the payroll, like coach, assistant coach, player, whatever. Say, you know, we've spent all summer thinking about Ole Miss. (laughs) Because that's really what I want to hear. Do you you think they really have? Yes, they'll never admit it. And I know you can't lose to Portland State because you, you know, you just can't lose to Portland State. I get that. <laughs> but damn it, spend some time. T- tell it at least make me feel better. Like yeah, we spent most of the summer spending our like eighty percent of our time putting the game plan together because we know how important the Ole Miss game is. Yeah, they're never going to say it, but you know that's what's happening. No, yes. Yeah, so just tell me what you know. Tell you tell us the truth. Don't peel my leg and tell me it's raining. Exactly. As the old adage would go. When you say you wish, what is it? The old you know, wish yeah. in one hand, you know, <laughs> you know that old phrase. Yeah. I mean, no, it's the same thing, but you're never going to get that. Because as a, as a coaching staff and as a team, you want your team to take the approach where it's one game at a time. You just get tired of hearing about it. You know what I want? I want a team that takes the approach that – I want a team that's actually good enough to take this approach. I oh, ain't worried about Portland State. Well, yes. We're a good yes. enough team. We're going to line up and we're going we're gonna, to – Spend a week getting ready for them, but we're going to spend all summer getting ready for Ole Miss. Yep. Because you know what Ole Miss can't do? They can't spend all summer getting ready for Arkansas. Right. Why? Because they got to play Memphis. There's a good chance Memphis will beat their butt. And if they do, does that give you a better feeling about beating Ole Miss? I don't know. But I would feel better knowing that my coaching staff hasn't spent all summer preparing for Portland State. Yes. <laughs> I'll, I'll agree with you there. 100%. You know... It all sounds good until you you know you get ready for Ole Miss. Well, it wouldn't have been better to spend all summer preparing for this game, the game that literally this game that defines the season. Well, because Portland State shouldn't even be a team that it can even run with you, right? Shouldn't be. Your X's should be better than their O's. Your second string should be better than their first string. But unfortunately, John, when you go two and ten, you can't approach things like that. You don't have that luxury. Unfortunately, fall back on cliches and coach speak. Well, it's just one game at a time, guys. We're going to focus on Portland State here in 32 days. and yeah. No, I want to hear that you spent the last 100 days worried about Ole Miss. That's what I want to hear. But we believe that they have, though. I think. I sure hope they have. Yeah. I don't know what I believe. I just know what I hope. Yeah. No, because I'm with you. I, I want that to be the case. I just wish someone was honest enough to say, yeah, we didn't spend any time on Portland State. Is that who we? No, we're worried about Ole Miss. Thank you. Thank you. Well, That's, maybe you can get some of the players to talk about that. No, we tried. Remember we tried to get Dev Wall Whaley, wasn't it, at, me, at SEC yeah. Media Days? 
All right. How much we? Because we ask him about the Ole Miss game. Well, you know, we're just focused on Portland State to start the season, and it's just one game at a time. And you know, God Almighty. Well, that's what I'm saying. Go to media day this weekend when you get to talk to more players. Maybe we can finally get somebody to say it. Maybe we can get like a like a defensive lineman or something. Like, no man, that's we, why the true freshman can't yeah. talk. Because you know they'd they would be, say something like this. You know they'd be like, man, who's Portland State? Uh, no, we're we playing about them. them. No one's even mentioned Portland State. I was told that was a scrimmage that day. All August about 31st. Ole Miss at AM around here, baby. Man, <laughs> I, I, again, I hope that's the case, but I also hope that they do take care of business against Portland State. But that's the thing is that you're at the point where uh, you're right, Tom. You it, can't do that. Wouldn't it be disappointing to know they've actually spent all their time getting ready for Portland State? Wouldn't that like, like just really disappoint you? Well, yeah, it would. <laughs> That's again, I'm hoping that they don't and they aren't. I'm hoping that they say that, but they aren't because surely, Tommy, surely, surely yeah. they know that that Ole Miss game two of the season is the pivotal game to this year's success. I think it's the most important game. Yeah, it, it's it's because if you don't win that game, you're from the early going. You're behind the eight ball, and the confidence of the team, this team making a bowl game goes down dramatically. But if you win it, the confidence gets risen. Oh, you're, you start you're, feeling really good about the next few games, and you're on track to make a bowl game. You have a great opportunity to start four and zero. Oh, yes, if you beat Ole Miss and go five and one in your first six games. My God, think if and, and let's just get the cart a mile in front of the horse. That's what if we you do. Beat A and M and you beat Kentucky, which I'm gonna throw up. No one believes you can't win those games. They're not unwin those. You don't look at as un. They're not in the same breath as Alabama, right? Or you maybe just have even zero LSU. And maybe A and M's a little closer to that outside looking in, but A and M's got a got a heck of a schedule. They got to contend with. But trap game, yeah, that's what you're hoping. I'm just and, I, and don't don't mishear what I'm saying. I'm not saying this team's going to start six and no, zero. But no, can no, you, no. but you talk about re, revitalizing and getting energy and excitement around the program. I don't even think it takes six and zero. I think if you start off four and two, certainly five and one. But this this program needs something. It's due something like that. Like if best case scenario, we talked about this a week or two ago. You know. If everything went your way, there's only like four games on this schedule we were talking about. There's only four games that aren't winnable. Bama, LSU, I put Auburn in there. You say, maybe, I, I just think there, there, I think there's eight of these games on the schedule you can win. I don't think they'll win all eight of those games, but there's like eight winnable games. The path to eight wins, if you will. Right. If everything went right. Correct. Eight and four. Mm-hmm. Maybe nine with a bowl game. I don't think that's far-fetched. Well, I mean, but that yeah, it is far fetched. That's like everything goes. Well, no, right. I don't think it's far fetched to say that if everything went right, everything went right, right. You win eight games because I think that even a game like Texas A and M, because like let me ask you, if Arkansas plays a, if Arkansas plays great against A and M and A and M plays bad, do you think they win? Well, I mean, what's the old adage? Since we're talking cliches here, that's what the we do. Team that makes the fewest mistakes is going to win the game. Mm-hmm. You know, if A and M turns the football over on short fields and gives Arkansas. Hey, first and ten at the twenty-two yard line, about three times in the game, and do hey out Arkansas, Arkansas, spot them about three touchdowns with turnovers and stupid field position plays on special teams, and you know mistakes that cost you huge chunks of land and field position with turnovers and special teams. Yeah, you can win that game, but you're going to need yeah. you're going to need some of those type of things to happen. Yeah, is A and M the fourth best team on this? I mean, would Alabama's one right? For sure. LSU 2? Anybody yep. argue with that? LSU 2. Is Auburn the third best team or A&M? Who, who's the third toughest opponent? Third best team on this schedule? That's tough. LSU's definitively the second best team on the schedule. Yeah, I think on the, on over the, on the, on the lines. I think over A&M, yeah. yeah. Why do you think that? They have the most experience returning. I mean, and you've got to go that, there. I mean, I'm just talking about difficult team games yeah. to win. The most difficult game to it's win is going to be at, at Alabama. I think winning at Baton Rouge, I know Arkansas has had a history there. I think that's the second toughest game to win. A&M's on a neutral field. A game that A&M hates going to. You know? So, yeah, I mean, I I don't think, for me, there's no question it's Bama 1, LSU 2 as far as least likely victories. Mm -hmm. But I I do, you know, I think it's open for debate whether it's A&M or Auburn. 
three or four. Yeah. I think it's one it just of depends things. on which Auburn team which, shows up yeah, this right. year. You know, is it going to be the back against the wall, Gus Malzahn pulling a rabbit out of his hat, taking to get to a point but of 10 wins? Maybe. I'll, I'll say this. LSU, that's second last game from the year. And by then, they're either all in on trying to be second in the division and get to a great bowl game, maybe get into the college football playoff if they've only got one loss. Or if they've lost two or three at that point, they've rolled a stamps, baby. Mm-hmm. Mailed it in. They've kind of changed that under Eddie O. Like Les Miles, they mailed it in when they lost to Alabama and lost out on an SEC championship. But Ogeron has done a really good job of getting them hyped up for that Arkansas game, despite them not being able to get to Atlanta at that point. I mean, LSU played pretty poorly last year. I mean, Arkansas only won, lost by a touchdown. Yeah, Arkansas was not in that game till late. Though. I know, but it, it was still a very poor game because I remember talking to Matt Moscona about that, and he was like, I barely remember that game because if it was one of the worst games LSU played all year. So I'm just saying that, you know, I get what you're saying, but I also am saying that, you know, I want to see what they can do this year as far as at that point in time of the year, if they lose to Alabama and if they lost any other game to Auburn or whoever. I'm just saying there's eight games on your schedule that you have a chance to win, and I think there's three to four games you got 0% chance to win, less than 5% chance. So, I mean, if everything, you know, if, if it all came up your number, the dice all fell your way this year, that's the ceiling, you know. What 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 would a four and start, a five and one halfway point mean to the ticket sales, to the excitement, to the indication that this is the right guy? I mean, there's just a lot on the line in this first half because you look at the second half of the schedule that does have those tougher games we were talking about, including Bama, including Auburn, including LSU. Two of those road trips, by the way. Mississippi State at home is not going to be no easy chore either. Mm-mm. You know, the second half of this schedule is loaded compared to the first half. Yeah. And I can so tell you better make some hay. If, you're, if you have any hope, any glimmer of hope to make a bowl game, it's because you got four wins in the first half. That's right. And we can end on this too, Tommy. You said it. What would it mean for ticket sales and all that if they started five and one? Well, their seventh game is against Auburn and Fayetteville. Your number one source of local news and information you need. Like the Bud Light Morning Rush podcast? Check out the Halftime Pod at hitthatline.com.